Language is crucial to understanding societies. It's crucial to recognising the ecological, social, political and economic conditions in which we live. We use language to frame problems, formulate solutions, to negotiate and communicate political and economic pitfalls. Language is interaction that can accelerate action. But language is also performance, and performances can be used to distract from inaction, to avoid action, or postpone action, as much as to accelerate it. And language is what we focus on in this second series of our Language and Power podcast. So we're talking today about some of the language around the around Ukraine, the war in Ukraine, the invasion of Ukraine. Neither of us are uh, experts in the, the geopolitical situation, but I think there are some interesting things to say about some of the language uh, that we see around this and some of the things that we can uh, perhaps learn from that. And we've got a, a few interesting clips to talk about. I think, do you want to, should we go straight for it, Tom? And yes, Yeah, that, this is an interesting situation is that we find quite often in critical discourse analysis that you don't necessarily have to take opinions or, or strong opinions about something it's the language that we're interested in and the way other people use language and it's often very difficult for analysts and students to, to talk about other people's languages and the attitudes because they often sort of feel like they're implicated in in these by presenting what other people seem to be saying through their discourse and when, when it's not their own words it's quite a tricky one and i think it's you're right it's important we're not strategists where that's not our remit we've got to sort of understand the context but we are interested in the way people negotiate that that, that context and some of the issues that come up uh, and which won't, won't necessarily reflect on any of our views to do with the the, the invasion but but they're already by saying invasion you see mm, yeah. we're uh, you know, smuggled in an evaluation that uh yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? But so some of these issues come up, as you say. So do you want me to play the clip now? Yeah, yeah, let's go. So the following is a TikTok broadcast that was I picked up on Facebook, seems to have been shared by a lot of people, and I shall play it for you now. There's a lot of people on TV didn't expect a war like this to happen in, let's say, certain neighbourhoods. This is not a developing third world nation. This is Europe. These are prosperous middle class people. These are not people trying to get away from areas in North Africa. They look like any European family that you would live next door to. What could be a difference here from other conflicts, you know, that could seem very far away, you know, in Africa or Middle East or whatever. I mean, these are Europeans that we're seeing uh, being killed. This isn't a place with all due respect, um, you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan, you know, this is a relatively civilized, uh, relatively European, I have to choose those words carefully too, uh, city where you wouldn't expect that or hope that it's going to happen. Wow. That was you choosing your words carefully? That was the careful version? So what were you going to say if you weren't choosing your words carefully? I just hope the next time this happens, it happens back in the Middle East where it belongs. Here's the thing, people. Here's the thing. Beyond the racism, right? Like, let's, let's forget the racism. Oh, how I wish we could forget about the racism. You do realize that until very recently, fighting crazy wars was Europe's thing. That was Europe's entire thing. That's all of European history. They even had something called the Hundred Years' War. You understand how long that is? That's like a decade. 
They got a Nobel Prize because they stopped fighting. Imagine that. Now people are going to be like, oh, to see this in, in Europe, to see this. Like, I'll tell you now, I don't know about you, but I was shocked to see how many reporters around the world, by the way, seem to think that it's more of a tragedy when white people have to flee their countries. Because I guess what, the darkies were built for it? I mean, you see how they run in the Olympics, Peter. Clearly, God has given them this talent for a reason. I totally agree. I mean, even if this wasn't a war, these people would probably be fleeing their homes for fun. It's just who they are. <laughs> Back to you guys in the studio. Yeah, I think worth pointing out, just for, because you are listening in black and white, as it were, I mean, it's worth pointing out that at the end, the presenter was doing a little spoof parody as if he was a, a reporter. And these weren't real voices. But the other voices in the middle very much were from uh, CNN and Al Jazeera and other places. Uh, really interesting. I, I thought that was a brilliant clip, Michael. What about you? Yeah, he puts his finger on something that that I think watching the watching the coverage, you you notice this very different treatment in the reporting of this um, particular situation than you get in, in others. And, and he's, he's just, I mean, he's, he's done our job. He's collected those, those clips together and, and he puts his, his finger on it, you know. He says what it is, you know, is that you being careful in your language? What, <laughs> would, what would it have been if you weren't being, what was the non-careful version? That's a commentary on, on the language, isn't it? And I think, yeah, it's a, a, an amazing clip. No, it is, I would agree. I think there's been quite a bit of... Uh... Uh, difficult. I'm choosing my words carefully here, talking about folk CDA. We use the word folk here to mean non-professionals. It's not meant in a derogatory way. It means that other people are having in a lot of analysis of language. I think actually that's one of the amazing things with social media. We do see a lot of people analysing what other people have said in, in pretty sophisticated ways, normally with a lot of humour, where they sort of reduce it to the absurd to bring out what yeah. was being said against what could have been said, either for better or worse in this case. But it's, it's been great for that, for people analysing analyzing coverage. Yeah. And this is something that we, you know, just listening to the radio and TV and watching the TV coverage, we in our house noticed this. It's very noticeable, this tendency for some reporters to really emphasise the European nature of this and and heighten the sense that it's then therefore exceptional and again the presenter on that clip really puts his finger on it you know that the, the history of europe is one of war and conflict and so it's not really historically an exception it's pretty much that's what we were taught in history wasn't it, it was this war <laughs> yeah. that war this person against yeah. it's what we do yeah yeah so yeah really really good, really good. yeah um i think that we, we had some well, maybe when we're chatting about this before, there's different things they're talking about. And you mentioned the word empathy and stuff like that. I think there's some interesting stuff there in that because it's nearer physically to you, it does make you feel more frightened. And you know what? We have to. I would much rather a war happen somewhere else than near my family as well. That's just human nature. It's not great. But then you're talking about the empathy and there's a difference between maybe the, the fear factor of it yeah. being near you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and the empathy for other people, which I think you you were interested in. That, that's that's right. So it does make you think. I mean, what we're wondering here is how do we how do we take a how do we give a, a CDA discourse analysis linguistic take on on some of the some of that reporting that was included in that clip. And as you say, 
if something terrible is happening close to you, you are going to feel fear. You, you know, as you say, perfectly understandable. What we've got here are reporters not emphasizing the proximity to potential viewers. So it's not, they're not saying, you know, imagine having this war and it's so close, it's only X number of kilometers or X number of miles or hours you know, away. They're not mm-hmm. emphasizing the, the proximity at all, uh, which is something that you would imagine for, for almost anybody, if there's something close by, then it's, then it's a, a fear-inducing kind of situation. But some of those reporters were American reporters, so it's very far away. So, so the oh, proximity, proximity issue is not, is not the, the thing that's being spoken about here. What is being spoken about is something else. And w- what we were saying here is about em- empathy for, yeah, when, when I'm watching the, the coverage of this news I, I, you know, or, or any news of war, for, for me, I'm... I, 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 whoever is involved in a war situation, I feel empathy for, and I wish they weren't having to experience that situation. But in these reports, they are trying to emphasise the fact that this is Europe and these are Europeans and not, I think one of them said, and not Africa, not not in North Africa, you know? So it's... uh, I, I care about people, whether they're from Africa or, you know, down the street. I don't want people to be harmed in this sort of way. So the question is, why are they emphasising that sort of aspect yeah, of it? It reminds me, when I was seeing that clip and thinking about today's podcast, about a, a colleague of mine, Harriet Lloyd, who uh, was looking at the BBC Children in Need broadcasts and looking at how empathy was created in order to, to to maximize donations and it's interesting we did some work together on that in a nursing environment but harriet came up with a sort of a three-way distinction and he talks about social closeness and distance mm. and that's the extent to which you come in touch with each other experiential closeness and distance is the degree to which characteristics such as gender ethnicity or nationality are shared and experienced by individuals and groups and then the third one is called actional distance and that's the extent to which we feel we can actually help the people involved and i think it's a really interesting way of looking at that Mm. because you can see that in emphasizing these are people like us in ethnicity but etc etc by human nature unfortunately in our genes we we tend to react more favorably to people like us something we've got to try and overcome culturally but unfortunately it's true and so you can see how that might increase the empathy but from a different perspective you may be th- thinking more positively about it okay so it's quite easy to do with the people in ukraine why why are they not when reporting on other conflicts in other places they can be doing the same thing to increase the empathy and the closeness and the relational closeness mm. experiential closeness with these other groups instead of exactly the cliches these guys fall back on they're not blue-eyed blondes which is what one of them mentions i think that's brought up in the guardian article that blonde and blue eyed was brought up i'm neither but also you know that they're reverting to these very typical features and perpetuating the myths that create lack of empathy and and you know instead of it's natural we empathize with people like us, but therefore the job of the news surely is to create those empathies, work on it strategically to create empathies with groups who are less obviously like us 
in the superficial ways and and, yeah. and instead of doing that they've just pulled out all the old cliches here yeah 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 it, yeah it, i mean if there are tendencies like that then 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 you're you know we we've got we've got the intelligence hopefully to to recognize any prejudices that we might have or people might have and try and try and work against those you know we we don't have to be slaves to taught prejudices or learned prejudices yeah. or whatever it's it's that sort of thing isn't it and so and, and that i like that that kind of schema that you you've just given there i think that is a a, a useful way of trying to understand yeah why are we seeing this and so I, I was wondering if we could think about this in terms of implicature so there's this um idea in language analysis of, of implicature where you you say things and sometimes you don't say things in exactly the most straightforward way in order to imply impl imply yeah. something else. And so this this kind of comes back to the for people who don't know, uh, uh, Grice is is the the person who kind of is is famous for for coming up with this idea, and the principle in, in that. I mean, it's mostly as far as I recall, talking about conversations. But if we think about reporting as a kind of pseudo conversation, what a, a, more of a one sided conversation where the reporter is telling us something, maybe we can think about converse, conversation in that way. But if a conversation has a principle where you're cooperate, you, you want to cooperate with the person that you're speaking with or communicating with, and when you don't cooperate with them, that's for a reason. So it's not, it's not saying that you always have to cooperate. It's not a rule. It's, it's generally the principle is that you co cooperate, and when you don't cooperate, you are doing so for a reason often to imp imply something else. There are, there are maxims, conversational maxims, maxims of quantity, where you are, it's understood that you will give the information that is required and, and not give more information than, than is required. Yeah. A maxim of quality in which you don't say anything that you believe to be false or that you don't have evidence for. A maximum of relation in which you are understood to be giving relevant information. And a maximum of manner in which you are um, going to be orderly, brief, non-ambiguous, and so on. And those are maxims that those are the kind of un understood underlying kind of uh, norms of a conversation. And you can go against those maxims. So if I start telling you something that, that and I'm saying giving you far more information than would be required and i'm doing it in a kind of way that's obvious that i'm doing this i'm implying something else yeah. i'm impl i'm trying to make a joke i'm trying to be ironic i'm trying to i don't know you know all sorts of other kind of what, what's a nice one they always give is if you say can you answer the door i'm in the bath yeah but we ultimately assume well that has to be relevant information to be cooperative therefore it means no, I can't answer the door because I'm not yes. going. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. So, so you're implying you're not you're you're breaking a maximum maximum of relevance there, and therefore implying something else. Um, now, I was wondering about this one. Where, where does this all come back to, to? To this, you know, when they start talking about the the people being victims here, being these are Europeans, the people are being shot here are Europeans. I, I see that as information to me. It, it, it is largely irrelevant i, I the, the fact that they're being shot at and being pu pushed out of their homes that the nation is being invaded that's relevant information to me or you know this is how i'm i'm taking it and so i was looking at this and thinking well i wonder if this is a kind of an example of implicature where one of those maxims is being broken because they're giving me irrelevant information if we think about these maxims as, as being the basic 
unspoken rules of conversations. You can yeah. flout them. So if you flout these rules, you're doing so on purpose in order to imply something else. Which you expect the speaker to take up. It's cooperative. Yeah. So in a cooperative way. Another option is to violate them in which you break these maxims on purpose, but you're hoping that the other person doesn't notice. Yeah. And we see that a lot in political discourse. Especially yeah, I mean, the example I gave you earlier, I hope no one's listening before the watershed, was Bill Clinton saying, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, where he was expecting you to, to take the implicature that he did not have any type of sex with her, but he was using his own definition of sexual yeah. relations and hoping to get away with it. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. So yes, exactly. exactly. And, and then you can also, there's, there's this other way, you can infringe these maxims where you're not meeting the maxims but you're not doing it intentionally so you know if you're in a high heightened emotional state you might start repeating something over and over so you're breaking the 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 the, the, the maxim of manner by repeating yourself but you're doing it because of your emotional state you're not intending to do that you're not trying to deceive anybody it's just some other other reason but I don't, you know, and, and then there's there's a fourth option, which is you just opt out of these maxims altogether, you know, completely. But I don't think the the reporter, I don't think the reporters are in, are are intending. So I'm reading it as a as a as an implicate as there being an implication behind them giving me this what I see as irrelevant information. But I don't think it quite works because I don't think they're intending to deceive. They're not intending to uh, imply something that I'm taking up, and I, and I don't even think that they're doing it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they're violating this. What do you, I mean? What's your take? No, I think it's really interesting because then if you say, "Well, what's the implicature you're getting?" You yeah. as a sympathetic, empathetic liberal guy, and they might be horrified if you said to them, "This is the implicature," you know, that they're generating. Yeah. But then you ask them, "Well, what made you say it then?" Mm. I mean, you know, so maybe subconsciously, you know, un underlying, you know, that it, it does say say tell us something about about the reporting, and I think. Like all the things with CDA, I find, you know, you can't really analyze single examples. Mm. But if you see it again and again and again, you know, it's not an accident anymore. And I think that was the point of the TikTok thing, wasn't yeah. it? That I, don't, I, I agree with you totally. They're not trying to generate an implicature and they'd be horrified at the implicature being generated. But then, so, so what are they doing? Why are they giving us this redundant information and, and therefore going against the maximum of uh, quantity, I suppose, or relation mm -hmm. relevance? Mm -hmm. In some way, what does it say about their underlying system that makes them say such things? Re really a good way of interrogating it, isn't it? And getting in and working out what the, what the text is doing. And I think from a CDA point of view, in some ways, it doesn't sometimes matter if it's intentional or not. Yeah. This is the whole question about, you know, in structural racism. Yeah. People say we're not racist because we don't mean it. But the idea is, well, yeah, but the institutions are structurally... So intention's almost irrelevant when you're on the receiving end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I th yes, I think that's right. So, you know, thinking about the impl implicature, it, it, it maybe is taking us down a route that we that, that, that it is not the best one to be critical of. I mean, it, it's, it's a starting point, but, but I, you're absolutely right. I, I completely agree that, that the intention... Is is sort of a side issue from the point of view of the fact that you know, as the, as the commentator on the clip said, you know, the, you've got this racist language coming out in in this report after report after report, and I think the, the clearest example of that was it's happening in a place that you that you hope it's not going to happen. I guess the implication there that, that there are places that you do hope it's going to happen, which is <laughs> you know, again, if it's going to happen. It's going to happen somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah.
which is again I, I mean you would hope that the reporter who said that would be you know is <laughs> not saying that he it's hoped it was happening to look at it in the views of pragmatics to see well well this yeah. is an implication here you know whether you meant it or not yes yeah yeah and then, yeah. then that's still I think it's a really good route to get in and then but then to take it a bit further and yeah say, well, yes, what's it yeah. doing there yeah 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 and from from any point of view, adding this information in is that is therefore seen as something that's significant to this situation for these reporters is that you've got this conflict happening with people who are white uh, and who are you know as you said in the Guardian one item that the Guardian reported was that, you know, even referring to people's colours colour of people's eyes. So and that blue eyed blonde was was really shocking. I mean. Almost some of the others zipped past me, but that, that you know, we're all yeah. made to say, what did he say there? You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, should, should we should we read that one? Because that, it, it, that's a quote from somebody, isn't it? I've, so this is from The Guardian of the 2nd of March by Mustafa Bayoumi, and it's called They Are Civilised and Look Like Us, The Racist Coverage of Ukraine. And the one that he mentioned particularly is this, the BBC interviewed a former Deputy Prosecutor General of Ukraine who told the network, it's very emotional for me because I see European people with blue eyes and blonde hair being killed every day. The, the journalist goes on, rather than question or challenge the comment, the BBC host flatly replied, I understand and respect that emotion. Well, and well, let's finish the paragraph. Uh, on France's BFM TV, journalist Philippe Cobet stated this about Ukraine. We're not talking here about Syrians fleeing the bombing of the Syrian regime backed by Putin. We're talking about Europeans leaving in cars that look like ours to save their lives. Mm. And I think we've got some empathy thing and closeness thing. But in doing that, there's this there's, there's deep, inherent Mm. race let's not call it racism because that implies a fault of the person but racist ideologies embedded mm. in there deliberately mm. or not and and that blue haired no that <laughs> blonde haired blue eyed example is is quite chilling in, historically as well yeah it's there was a, when we're talking about this idea of uh, uh generating implicatures and but also cultural difference i mean the whole idea of unfortunately to be an in-group you've got to have an out-group and so therefore to empathize with ukrainians you've got to compare them to some this is the, the ways you can do it more or less mm. suitably strategically but it's one of the things that happens and so this this idea of othering people and i saw a really good little clip on facebook page i somehow stumbled into them have become a member of but it said can we start referring to american billionaires as oligarchs yeah yeah i saw that too. this is the classic freedom fighter one freedom fighter terrorists the other way what why are russian billionaires oligarchs but american billionaires not oligarchs what is the extra meaning the why is this violation of quantity there what's the extra load of oligarch that's implying that what, what is it that billionaires are controlling the state in russia but they're not in the us you are kidding me and so it was actually an American Democrat website, but I thought that was really nice. And we hear it again and again and again. The oligarchs, you know, they've been, they've had their yachts taken away from great symbols of idle wealth is the yacht. But now you never hear about American oligarchs. You do hear about American billionaires, but it's never it doesn't carry the same yeah. extra implicature, does it? Yeah. No, no, no. It's an achievement, isn't it? It's, it's an achievement rather than a, a, than a cruel. Occupation. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's right. If he's, yeah. if he's that rich, he must have earned it, as someone yeah. once said yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that that that's and, and so a very huge disparity there. So 
And I think, again, that's another example around the reporting and discussion of this situation, this war in Ukraine, in which people are really, really taking hold of the differences in the use of language and, and, the, and the kind of problematic use of language from many points of view. One of, I mean, one of the things that's, that I think is fascinating here, you going back to what you said about the, the, the racist ideology of some of the people who are being quoted in these reports and then not being challenged, and some of the reporters who are themselves using racist discourse to describe the situation, is that you've got this, you know, there's almost as though there's a resource that they fall into, they use, that, that kind of uses these, these tropes. Um, and wherever they got them from, that they, they, they exist, they're readily available, and they're, they're almost the, the easiest for them to grasp, you know, to, to where, where do we go from here? Oh, we can get that one. It's, it's, it's almost as though it's the first thing that they can think of to, to quickly report the story in terms that they feel will be, you know, newsworthy so there's a so there's a the sort of racism in in the discourse that's available you know if there are different discourses available the the one that's readily available is the one it appears Absolutely. to be like this kind of totally yeah, i think fairclough talks about members resources if you belong to a community these are the standard ideas that are out there and we might think we're immune to them but they will come to our mind automatically because we hear them so often. Yeah, yeah. But they will come to our mind automatically because we hear them so often. Yeah. And we're just maybe likely to repeat the next time because it's yeah. the easiest yeah. thing to do. Yeah. And we yeah. think we're immune. But we and this is part of I think part of the point of CDA is you know, people think they're immune and they don't do these things. Those are the stories we go to, those are the ideas we go to. And we might have to make an effort and we might be able to come back. But it's just the easiest thing. And we've all seen ourselves doing it in the pub or somewhere else where we're taking part in a conversation. We're not entirely sure where yeah. we're saying what we really want to think we think because it's just the easy to fall back on these tropes and yeah. they get reproduced and they do enter your, your brain. Yeah. And, and but and then the point then is that, it, that you know, it, 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 as we said earlier, if they, if they do, then you, you can take two routes. You can say, well, that's just the way things are. So I'll continue with this line yeah. of thought, or you can recognize it for being one that's, that's not um, a good way of thinking and seeing the world, that it is problematic and try and do what you can to, to stop yourself and, and, and others from thinking that. So that, I think that's important to say, but I, I was gonna say from, from the reporters, you've, you've got, I think that's a really, that is a really good point about the, those res, members resources and, and what, what's available. And that, that's what's available. And, and how they understand or how they just qu are quickly given to understand the take on the situation, in, in this case, in Ukraine. But there's another side to this, which is what they think their audience is. And they, 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 by saying it in this way, they think that their audience is white, European, yeah. blue-eyed, uh, blonde-haired. And in, you know, in many cases, that might be true. You know, a lot of their audience will be for some of these, but you know, you, the, many of them won't be falling into those categories either. So, so you've got a kind of double it, racism ideologically coming in. It's, it's how you understand the people you're reporting about. Yeah. And it's how you understand the people you're talking to. No, just when is, you say that, recalls to mind when, when my wife was doing field work in, in the indigenous areas in the south of Mexico in the highlands of Chiapas and we went to visit the local surgeries local ho small hospitals 
and we were talking about you know the the uh, treatment of of indigenous women in particular and and contraception but exactly what you're talking about happened these white or mestizo doctors started telling us the most incredible things and we're thinking just keep talking so you've got this on the tape recorder but the most racist things because they were just automatically assuming that as middle class white educated folk we were going to share these it was like, you know it's like the taxi driver effect multiplied a million it's, it's quite astounding but you're right it's this double racism against both the people they're complaining about or insulting but also to assume that you are automatically part of that that same polar polarized mm. community yeah mm. so that, yeah i see that the fact that the youth casters are doing that what does it make of us what's what is it what's the subject position they're attributing to us to throw yeah, in some more yeah. fair cluffy informal language yeah 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 nice uh, yeah uh, it's 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 amazing and i and i guess yeah oh i don't know i don't, I don't know what else to say about this it's uh well it was made to get sorry but just yeah it's almost we haven't actually got all this stuff prepared properly today but we're leading into each other's ideas which is lovely because you're talking about those audiences there's another nice piece of well i won't call it folk cda because it's it's by a journalist and so this is half their job but it's uh it's again from the guardian but it's called ukraine crisis what message was biden sending to putin mm. and actually it talks about the fact that he had to address four different audiences at once ukrainian people putin himself europe and to the American people. Now, obviously, straight away, where these are categories and they're rarefications anyway. But it's quite a nice piece of analysis because we've talked about this idea before and the idea that there's all sorts of different people there. Not everyone's got the same liberal empathy as you towards other people's suffering. And we, we've got to address multiple audiences in multiple ways of speaking. And this is quite a nice analysis because it's talking about how uh, President Biden in his State of the Union address had to cover these four different angles in his speech to look competent, threatening, so empathetic to all these different audiences in a way without alienating them. So it's an article that's probably worth, you know, worth chasing up on. Re really interesting from, from that point of view. There was one more just very quickly, because I'm hogging the floor here, which I'm sure is breaking some Gricean maxim. One I was just interested in, because it's an article that someone sent with an alternative point of view, a talk, that's going on about someone saying, look, here's an alternative way to look at the crisis. And it's very interesting. It's actually from September 2015 in, in the annexation of the Crimea, I think, et cetera. But it's by a professor from John Mearsheimer, Distinguished Service Professor in Political Science at the University of Chicago. And it's called officially the causes and consequences of the Ukraine crisis, talking about that first Ukraine crisis. Causes, plural, consequences, plural. However, the subtitle it is, why is Ukraine the West's fault? That's not causes and consequences. That is one, you know, it's taking down a hugely, I think it's what you're saying about, you know, what you said earlier linked into this, that we try and find one simple way to understand it, mm. like the blue-eyed blondes or something like that. And we, People just are scared of complexity. So even this distinguished professor, instead of causes and consequences, multiple consequences become one consequence. Then that gets associated with fault and blame. And those things are not necessarily associated at all. It's just a very easy way of taking a really complicated situation. OK, I'm going to say it's the US's fault. I'm going to say it's Putin's fault instead of saying it's really complicated mess and we don't just need to take up size and do this you know this 
virtue signaling or position, whatever we do, it just it's always just narrows down to a very simple, simple answer. And, uh, it, it's almost posturing as well. I mean, I hate to uh, be rude to the distinguished professor, but I sort of think you're much more interested in standing there having this position and looking different and radical than actually trying to solve the problem here. And uh, that's a huge problem as well. And it's one we all sort of fall into. Yeah, it, it's it's something that you see again and again, isn't it? Sim simplification is a, is a particularly in in yeah public discourse, which is about geopolitics. It is very very often reduced to to uh, simple, sometimes binaries, maybe sometimes simple triads of of of, of, of ingredients that have made the situation occur. Triads pushing it. That's really yeah. pushing us to our limits, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but it's like it's like those chat show hosts, you know, or even even on, you know, the supposedly behavior ones. Can you give me a yes or no, please? Mm -hmm. Well, no, actually, I can't or because it's not that simple. But you just want a 30 second soundbite to boost your ratings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw a, I was listening to an interesting podcast the other day uh, about, there about are other podcasts Ukraine. available. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a guy called Tianan Dujeb, who is a British comedian, and he has a podcast called the partly political broadcast and he was uh, and, and he was interviewing somebody about about ukraine and the historical factors that that, that apparently are, are at work here yeah go, go back a long long way so and, and it was i think you know I'll, I'll put a link for people who are interested in that to, to that podcast but it's you get some sense for, for for us who don't know about these things including myself in that yes yeah, so it, it gives it gives you a sense at least of of, of the the those complex causes, which apparently... But I'm guessing it's longer than two minutes. Oh, yeah, it's about an hour. <laughs> That's <laughs> and the it, problem, it, isn't it? We've got then, it's, it's uh, effort to do this. Yeah. We once prefer someone with capital, with political yeah. capital, to sum it all up for us and give us an opinion we, mm. we can we can repeat without having to listen and think for two hours, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But, but then going back to the topic that we began with, even if you do, you know, even if news reports do require, and they do require simplification, um, you can't, uh, in a news report, spend an hour explaining the situation no. to, to, to an audience. You know, they've, they've got a couple of minutes, but even then you've got a choice. You, you, you know, if you find yourself saying things that are from a racist place, like we heard in those clips, you can simplify those things in a different way, you know, in a way that is not racist. You know, simplification does not equal racist. That's really and, good point. And, 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 that's that's where we, we kind of yeah, you cannot do you can't put a quart into a pint pot to use a very british metaphor you know the, it is a news program it's got to be covered in so many seconds so you've got to work with those constraints and affordances but you can do it in original ways but you, it's no good trying to suggest something that just doesn't fit there is it yeah yeah absolutely absolutely yeah and 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 you know my my, my I, I, I i always find it a kind of a useful simplification is just to talk about humanity and humans you know you don't have to talk about people's skin unless that's relevant you know that's you know, and of course there is racism so in those situations where you're talking about racism then it's it's apposite to talk about people's uh, skin color or ethnicity or whatever it is is being kind of brought into yeah. and generating implicatures yeah so i think you're right i mean this could be good training for journalists though when you're saying stuff Look, you've only got two minutes, but just make sure you don't generate a whole, you know, yeah. centuries worth of implicatures in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, human human beings are being 
you know, their country's been invaded, they're human beings, and, and they're, yeah. There's the tragedy. It's it's not no 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 more or less tragic because of of, of what they look like. So really interested. Mm. Well, let's draw the episode to a close. Thank you everyone for listening, and we'll see you next week on a different topic. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>